Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. In this podcast, you'll learn actionable strategies to deal with infertility from Dr. Michael Chapman, or Prof as he's affectionately known. Prof is the co-founder of IVF Australia and is a leading Australian infertility specialist who has helped over 3,000 couples realise their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. That first cry of a baby born after the long journey of IVF remains one of the most beautiful experiences in the world. As an obstetrician and an IVF specialist, I've had the privilege of experiencing this over many thousands of times in my long career, but I still remain moved by each baby's first cry. It signifies the end of a long journey and the beginning of a new life. This is Professor Michael Chapman, co-founder of IVF Australia and host of the IVF Journey podcast. Thanks for tuning in. To access all the previous episodes, head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. So today, although I've touched on it before, it's a common problem and so we'll talk about polycystic ovaries. I see patients with polycystic ovaries with various of the symptoms that come along with that hormone imbalance. So let's go through those symptoms. And by the way, having any symptoms doesn't mean you've got polycystic ovaries, but it is high on the on the possibility list because polycystic ovaries is very common. In fact, about 5% of all women suffer from polycystic ovarian syndrome. I've just seen a patient actually who's had very heavy bleeding with irregular periods, not your 28-day cycle, but sometimes 20 days and sometimes 40 days. And when she has a period, it's always very heavy, to the point where only last week she had an iron transfusion because she'd become so anemic. Why do you get heavy periods with polycystic ovarian syndrome? Well, the lining of the womb is stimulated by oestrogen and women with polycystic ovaries do produce oestrogen. In a normal cycle, however, a woman who ovulates produces another hormone called progesterone, and it's that progesterone that regulates the endometrium. And as the progesterone acts upon the endometrium, it changes its characteristics, and when the progesterone levels start to fall, if pregnancy hasn't occurred, that falling progesterone level together with a falling oestrogen level that goes along with a normal hormone pattern, results in the shedding of the lining of the womb in an organised manner. The little blood vessels that supply the lining of the womb 
we go into spasm with the reduction in the progesterone and estrogen levels the cells that are supplied by that those blood vessels break down as they come away they cause menstrual loss which is usually relatively small in volume around 80 mils in the whole of a period and that's insufficient to cause any anemia now women with polycystic ovaries uh, ovarian syndrome often don't ovulate they don't make an egg which is why they're infertile sometimes but that lack of ovulation means they don't produce the progesterone so the estrogen coming from the the polycystic ovaries from the little follicles there that estrogen level keeps on working on the lining of the womb so it builds up and it builds up and it builds up and eventually it can't sustain itself and it breaks away but that breaking away isn't like the normal process of menstruation so without the progesterone the endometrium comes away in an irregular fashion at varying times and unfortunately can be very heavy periods that then result and can cause anemia so that's one presentation that I see in my clinic the next presentation which is a reflection of the hormone imbalance that occurs with polycystic ovarian syndrome is women particularly in their 20s complaining of increased hair growth on their face and increased acne the medical term for that is hirsutism for the extra hair and uh, acne we all know what that's about and they are due to a slight excess of male hormones that accompany polycystic ovarian syndrome in about 60 to 70 percent of cases where do those male hormones come from well they come from the ovaries one of the structural changes that occur in the ovaries with the hormone imbalance driven by the pituitary gland is that the cells that surround the eggs in the ovary are similar to the cells in the testicle that produce male hormones the testosterone in the male and so with an increased level of the LH hormone which is the same as the hormone in males that stimulates testosterone production it also can stimulate testosterone production in these cells of the ovary that testosterone then obviously acts at the various parts of the skin that are sensitive to testosterone just as in the male and so hair follicles are stimulated to grow and the sweat glands under the influence of increased testosterone tend to produce more secretions those secretions produce a greasy skin another symptom of polycystic ovarian syndrome but that increased production of the sebum can lead to blockages in the duct of the hair gland the sweat gland in the hair follicle and that then leads to pimples and then to acne the treatment for that particular patient is trying to suppress their testosterone levels which rarely ever get up into male levels but certainly are elevated compared with normal women and the way we do that is to increase the estrogen in the circulation by potentially putting a woman on the contraceptive pill the other thing that the contraceptive pill does it acts on the liver to increase the protein that attaches itself to the testosterone molecule and makes it inactive something called sex hormone binding globulin and if we 
can increase sex hormone binding globulin levels then we reduce the active testosterone and therefore we have an impact on hair growth and particularly on acne. There are some stronger drugs that specifically inhibit testosterone action at the level of the hair follicle. They're not without their side effects so we tend not to use them unless the situation is very severe. But women with excessive hair growth and acne certainly can be helped. The next presentation that I see, and obviously in a fertility clinic that's going to be a common one, is women who have irregular cycles and are trying to get pregnant. And as I've already said, the reason for their inability to conceive is that they're not making an egg every month. So what we do for them is to give them medication to stimulate ovulation. And that works in about 80% of cases. We can get women ovulating with a five-day course of tablets. There are two commonly used tablets these days. The old-fashioned one, probably we'd call it, is clomiphene, which has been around for 50 years now. And what clomiphene does, it acts at the level of the pituitary gland and basically cons the pituitary gland into producing the right levels of hormone rather than the excessive levels of the LH hormone. It increases FSH production and FSH is the follicle stimulating hormone and that follicle stimulating hormone leads to a normal egg development and ovulation and the problem is cured. More recently we've been using a drug called letrozole and certainly large randomized controlled trials suggest that letrozole may be slightly more effective than clomiphene inducing ovulation in women with polycystic ovarian syndrome. It is a different family of drug in that it inhibits the production of estrogen so that the pituitary gland thinks that the estrogen levels are falling and it has been programmed since puberty to respond to falling estrogen levels by increasing FSH levels. So once again we get FSH being produced, FSH stimulates follicle growth, follicle growth leads to ovulation. So letrozole is now the commonly used drug. When we look at the results of such stimulation in women with anovulation and PCOS, we find that ovulation can be induced in around 70 to 80 percent of women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Pregnancies will occur after six months in something like 60 to 70 percent of patients. So it doesn't solve the problem totally. So if it doesn't, we then move on to injections by giving FSH directly to the woman and stimulating her ovaries directly. That has more risks in that when we give that hormone, we can stimulate multiple follicles, which can result in hyperstimulation syndrome, rarely. But more commonly and more worryingly is twins or, or higher multiple pregnancies, triplets and whatever. Indeed, most of the very high order pregnancies, the quintuplets and sextuplets that you see on the front pages of women's magazines are not the result of IVF, they're the result of giving injections to women with polycystic ovarian syndrome. So in, in all of those you can hear that while polycystic ovarian syndrome can present in various ways, each of those problems can be solved with appropriate management. So if you have any of those symptoms or signs, consult with a doctor who understands hormones and the female reproductive tract. I'm sure we can help. And don't forget, 
that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. 